0: let's pray again. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you are always working, even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it. God, you're so good. Lord, I I pray that you would just awaken, awaken our souls, awaken our hearts in worship. And now, Lord, as, as we spend time in your word, would you awaken us, God, to who you are and to what you're calling us to, Awaken us to the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, we're thirsty for you. We long for you. We need you. So God, be glorified now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, as you could guess from that, we're, we're getting back into the book of Acts here uh, now in, in January. And this is, uh, I've often said this is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, it, it, it's inspiring for me to see what God did in the early church through the Holy Spirit. Um, but, um, but it's also really convicting for me. Because, because it convicts me of my own anemic vision oftentimes for for what the church is called to be and what God wants to do through the church. You know, I I don't know if you fall into this, but sometimes you see a a little bit of growth, you see a baptism here or there, and you think, all right, job done, pack it up, let's go home, right? We've seen it, that's it. On the other side, of course, on the flip side, we we can be discouraged, we can despair because we don't see the things in Acts happening today. And to be honest, I fall into that side of things way more often. And I think the key there is to not focus on the results. Because we can't emulate what the Holy Spirit did back then. We can't, we can't manipulate the Spirit into doing the same things. The Spirit's going to blow where the Spirit blows. What we can do, though, is we can, we can emulate the heart. Dis- disposition. Of the early church, that—that's what we can seek after to have the same kind of heart that they did. That heart that is—is is fully devoted to the Word and to fellowship and to prayer. That heart that is just fully surrendered to the Lord, consecrated to Him, sensitive to His voice, responsive to His leading. That, that's what we want to go after and let the Spirit kind of do as He will do through us. But, but let that be our desire, not to settle for this kind of lukewarm thing. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks at the bridge. We, we want hearts that are soft. We want hearts of flesh. We want hearts like what the hearts that we see in those early disciples. That's what we're going to talk about this this morning. But before we do that, a little bit of context remind you of where we, where we were before we kind of took a break for a month and a half or so here. So in the chapters of Acts, right before the, the one that we're going to be in this morning, uh, we've seen the gospel break out from its kind of Jewish origins in Jerusalem, in Judea as a whole. And, and Paul, this guy who had this radical encounter with Jesus, is one of the main guys taking the gospel out to, the, to kind of the Mediterranean world. They go to southern, uh, what is now modern-day southern Turkey. Then it was the province of Galatia. He's going to cities like uh, Pisidian Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and, and he's And he's sharing the good news. And many Gentiles, non-Jews, Are putting their trust in Jesus, which is great, but it raises this question. How do these Gentiles get incorporated into the people of God? Do they need to become Jewish? Do they need to get circumcised? Do they need to follow the food laws? What do they have to do? And so all these leaders from the church gather together in Jerusalem, and they have a bit of a a conference, and and they decide absolutely uh, that no, Gentiles don't have to become Jewish. Salvation is by grace, it's through faith in Jesus. End of story. But they do ask the, the, the new Gentile believers to abstain from certain objectionable or offensive practices in order to maintain unity, in order to kind of foster further growth. And so Paul takes that kind of verdict, that message, and he goes back to the same churches that he had planted, those cities that he had visited before. He goes to the guy named Silas. They go back through those cities and they're delivering the, the news. This is what this is what the leaders in Jerusalem decided. And those churches are, are, uh, are encouraged. They're strengthened. In fact, there's growth that happens. We just see this over and over and over again in the, in the Bible, in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts especially, that what could have resulted in division, a crisis that could have caused immense turmoil, instead leads to growth and unity because of responsiveness to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, so Paul uh, has kind of come, he's, got, he's gone, Paul and Silas have gone through all of those, those cities. And in verse 6, this is what we read. Acts 16, verse 6. If you've got your Bible, you can follow along. But um, just a few verses for this morning. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So we're going to put a map up here. Uh, maybe there wasn't one up already, but we're going to put a map up here. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to go to this a fair bit here. So um, Paul and, and Silas and all their, their traveling buddies, they're in Pisidia, Antioch. So that's just to the right of that black circle there. They're in Pisidian, Antioch. That's kind of the end of the road in terms of revisiting the churches, the cities that they had been in before. But, but Paul and Silas have this, this desire in them to preach the gospel to further places, to take the good news of Jesus and, and to push it out even further. So we believe that that's a desire that's given to them by God. And so they're looking and they're saying, hey, where, where are we going to go next? Where do we take the gospel to? And the logical place to go for them, if they're in Pisidian Antioch, is to go to Asia. And we're not talking about China here, by the way, Happy Lunar New Year. We're not talking about China here. Asia was a province in the kind of the western part of modern-day Turkey as you can see towards the the coast there. And, And Ephesus was the major city. Ephesus was one of the most significant cities in the entire Roman world, one of the biggest cities. It, so you're, you're, if, you're, if you're Paul and Silas and you're in Pisidian Antioch, you just go. Well, that's obviously where we're supposed to go next. It's just it's just logical that that we would go to the big time now, right? We've kind of we've tested this out in the in the little small cities. Let's go to Ephesus, the big time. It's like um, if you're a high school superstar athlete and you got to take your talents to the next level, the, the logical thing is to go to some big. University, right? You're going to North Carolina. You're going to UCLA. If you're especially sinful and depraved, maybe Kentucky. That's for the five of you who are college basketball fans here. Um, but that's just the next logical place you're going you're to go, right? And so for Paul and Silas, it's, it's Asia. It's Ephesus. Until the Holy Spirit tells them no. And, and we're not told exactly how that happens. How do they know? Some people think maybe there are circumstances unfavorable circumstances they take as a sign they're not to go there, I think more likely uh, they receive a, a word from God through the Spirit. Both Paul and Silas are described as having the prophetic gift. Uh, and so, I, you know, I they often received words from the Lord, and I think they probably did in this instance too. They just knew. No, this is, God is telling them very clearly they are not to go to, to Asia. It's not where they're supposed to go. So where, where, what, what, what do they do? Well, verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So, now we go back to the map here. So Asia Asia is a no. And so where where do they go next? What's the next option? Well, to the north is Bithynia. And, And Bithynia was a pretty significant place as well. You had some major cities there like Nicaea. And, and Byzantium, which later became Constantinople, which later became Istanbul, one of the most significant cities in the world. Um, really, really significant place, right? So if, if you're in Antioch and Pisidia, and you're not supposed to go to Asia, naturally you're thinking Bithynia is the place, obviously, that God wants us to go. And, and yet, once again, the Spirit says, no, that's not where I want you. And specifically here, we, we read that it was the Spirit of Jesus which uh, is the same spirit as we read in verse six. The spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. It's a bit of a unique way of describing the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of other instances in the New Testament that use that language. But I think what Luke is trying to get across is that this this mission, it's it's Jesus. He's the one in charge of this mission. These are his servants. He has the right to kind of move the pieces around the board as he wants, Jesus gets to call the shots here. I think that's what Luke is trying to tell us. It's what he's been telling us from the very beginning. In Acts 1 verse 1, very first verse, uh, Luke, the author of Acts, is writing, is dedicating the book to a man named Theophilus. And he says to Theophilus, in my former book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, which is Luke's account of the life of Jesus, he says, in my former book, I wrote to you about what Jesus began. To do and, to teach. and I've mentioned this before, but the implication there is that the book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and to teach. So Luke is about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Acts is what Jesus continues to do and to teach. And in fact, I would say that the story of the church is the story of what Jesus is doing and teaching. The story of the church. Jesus is the central figure in that story. Even when the church is, uh, is disobedient and unfaithful, Jesus is still at work. In that case, oftentimes more judgment, more, more uh, repentance, more conviction, but still Jesus is the central figure, which raises a really, really important question. In your life, who's the main character? I know I've asked this before, but, but who's the main character in your life? Who has center place in your life? Is it you? You? Do you get to call the shots? Do you get to move the pieces around in your life however you see fit? Or have you surrendered that to him? Does he get to call the shots? Is he the central figure? And that's a really crucial question to ask for us as a church as well. Here at the Bridge Church, is Jesus the central figure in our story? Is he calling the shots? If Craig Thiessen was removed from the bridge church, would the bridge church still go forward? Would it still, would it still carry on in the mission? I sure hope so. I pray that Jesus calls the shots here at the bridge and that he is the central figure, not any one of us. So that's the really huge question here. We see in, in, in Acts that Jesus, Jesus is, is, is in charge. Is he in charge in my life and in, in our church? But there are other questions this raises as well. For example, one, one question I have when I read this is were, were Paul and Silas wrong to, to go towards Asia and to, war, to go towards Bithynia without first receiving clear instructions? Like, should they, have, should they have stayed in Antioch until they had received a clear word from God about where to go? And I actually think they're okay. It obviously wouldn't have been okay if they had received that clear word and then they had resisted and gone anyways. I don't know, maybe God would have put up an invisible spiritual force shield, field, whatever, to keep them. But, but in any case, they could have resisted. That would have been an issue. But instead, uh, I think they're okay going to those places and then responding to the Holy Spirit when the Spirit does speak. And here's why I say this. Because some of us are really, really, and it's, it's a great thing, are really concerned to do God's will. God's will to know God's will and, and to follow it. That's a good thing, right? Um, but, but sometimes we think we can't do anything until we've had some kind of like supernatural, clear revelation from God. And I've, I've, been, I've been there. I think I've shared this before, but when I was in high school, I went through this phase where I was trying to figure out like what's God's will for every single decision I make to, the, to literally to the, to the point of like which breakfast cereal am I gonna eat this morning? So I'd be standing there looking at the cupboard and I'd be like, all right, all right God, I got Rice Krispies and I got Shreddies. What do you want me like, what do you want me to eat this morning? And uh, I didn't really get a clear message. And I'm like, I'm, I'm driving myself crazy here. Like I've said many times, I was a strange, strange teenager. <laughs> Very strange teenager. But, uh, but you could drive yourself crazy. Just go, i got to have like, some supernatural revelation about every decision that I make. Now, obviously, God has revealed his will to us about a lot of things. Moral decisions, right? Like, we don't have to be like, God, show me if you want me to kill this person or not. No. Like he doesn't, right? He's made that clear already. <laughs> but, but some of these other decisions, life decisions, even jobs and housing and those kinds of things, I think we always want to, we always want to be open to the Lord's leading. We want to ask, we want to pray about those things. But, but if we pray and there's, there's no clear direction one way or the other, I, I think God has given us wisdom and, and common sense to, to move forward on. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, think, I think we always pray, we're always open, but we can move forward uh, knowing that, that he, he goes with us in those, in those kinds of decisions. Now, sometimes he does intervene. Sometimes he does speak, and he says very clearly no to this, and yes to this, to this other thing, like he does here. But then the question is, how do you know? How do you know that this closed door is a message from God saying no Or if it's just an obstacle, you need to kind of just get over and and get through. You've been there, right? You've been in that kind of situation? And I don't think there's really any easy answer. It's kind of tricky. But one thing I think about is John 10, where Jesus compares himself to a shepherd and his people to sheep. And he says that the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, for the shepherd. And the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. How do you know if it's the Lord's voice guiding you or directing you? biggest thing by far is that you need to actually know him in the first place you need to be growing in your relationship with him the more you spend time with him the more you spend time in his word the more time you spend in prayer the more time you spend with his holy people the more you know him the more you'll recognize his voice that's what it comes down to. I wish there was some simpler, easier test. And there are things that you can, that you can kind of ask, is this consistent with God's word is the number one thing. But again, it's, it's do you know him? Do you know his word? Are you in relationship with him? This goes, back to, this goes back to like the last couple of weeks where, where God has given us this, this new heart so that we can know him, so that we actually desire to spend time with him. This is a big part of what that new heart is all about. See, Paul and Silas, they, they know the Lord. They walk in, in close communion with him. And, and so when God speaks, they're, they're sensitive to his voice. They recognize his voice and they respond. And so it's, an, it's a no to, uh, to Bithynia. So let's, take, let's put up our map our map once again. It's a no to Bithynia. So what, what that means basically is that they're, they're getting funneled by God all the way to Troas, right? They know they're supposed to take the gospel forward. It's a, no, it's a no to Asia. It's a no to Bithynia. So it's like God kind of just like directs them very clearly to Troas, which was this, this small kind of like port city Uh, Not not terribly important or anything like that. And I'm guessing, this is a little bit of speculation, but I'm guessing that for Paul and Silas, this felt like a dead end. It's pretty clear, I think, that they don't have it in their mind at this moment that they're supposed to go take a ship across the waters, right? They've kind of, God has brought them to the end of the road and it's kind of like, all right, God, now what? What? You said no to all of those other things and you brought us to this place and we don't know what you want us to do here. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where God just kind of shut every door and led you to what seemed like a dead end and you had no vision of what could come out of that than what, what could come from that? Have you ever been there before? You say to God, all right, God, you brought me here. I don't know what you want me to do here. This doesn't make any sense to me. I can't see, I can't see the way forward. I I don't know for sure, but I wonder if that's where Paul and Silas were at in this moment. Here's what we read in verse nine. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. We're never told, we're never promised by God how long we're gonna have to wait in that place, that apparent dead end before he shows us where to go next. In this case, they didn't have to wait long at all. That night. That night, Paul has a vision. At, at night, I think from that we could take it that this, this was a dream. This, this happened while he was sleeping, I, th- I think. Um, and so he has he has this dream of a man from Macedonia. Now let's go back to our map once again. So much maps today, hey? This is fun, lots of geography. Go back to the map. So Macedonia there, up at the far left corner, is not what we know of as as Macedonia. I guess guess it's actually North Macedonia now. But this Macedonia was actually part of what is modern day Greece. And Macedonia was where Alexander the Great was from, that great world conqueror of the 4th century BC. It's where Aristotle, the famous philosopher, was from. So Macedonia was a huge, huge part of the whole flowering of Greek civilization, the spread of Greek influence around the, the ancient Western world. Macedonia played a huge, huge part in that. It's famous, kind of world-renowned place. And, and so you kind of wonder, like this man in the, in the dream is asking for help, and you kind of wonder, well, if, if, if I'm Paul, I don't know, some of us might be thinking, well, who am I? A, a traveling Jewish teacher? What, what am I to bring to a place like that? That's You know, for, for me, I'd kind of think that's, that's out of my league. What do I possibly have to offer them? And I wonder if some of us feel that way sometimes about, about North Vancouver, about Greater Vancouver, right? Here's this, this beautiful, world-renowned, famous kind of place. I mean, Macedonia had Alexander the Great and Aristotle, but guys, we've got Ryan Reynolds, Right? <laughs> We got Seth Rogan. I mean, here in North Vancouver, we've got Connor Bedard, the next Wayne Gretzky, the next Connor McDavid, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, here we could we could go skiing in the in the morning, we could go paddleboarding in the afternoon. What do you and I have to offer in a place like this? The man asks for help. See, what he means by that is that Macedonia desperately needs Jesus. Jesus is the help that they need and Jesus is the help that greater vancouver than that north vancouver as affluent and beautiful and world renowned as it is Jesus is the help that this city needs and so when you and i make jesus known through our words and through our actions we are offering help when when the bridge church makes Jesus known through our service, through our community, through our worship, through our relationships, we are offering help. It may not always be received as such. That's the nature of help, right? But that's what it is. The gospel is help. The gospel is real hope. The gospel is what lifts people up. The gospel is what restores people to the purpose for which God created them. The gospel is help. You and I have help to offer in the name of Jesus. Now this raises a couple of other questions, though. Lots of questions. Just in a questioning mood today. Lots of questions. Raises a couple of other questions. Uh, one is if, okay, if God says no to Asia and Bithynia, and he's going to say yes to Macedonia, what about Asia and Bithynia? Does, not, does God not care about those, about those places? Why don't they get help in the name of Jesus? And the answer is that actually those places, uh, they, they do. They do get the gospel pretty early on, if they hadn't already. Um, Ephesus is a place where Paul's going to visit on his way back on this journey. As you can see from that map, he ends up landing in Ephesus. Later on, he's going to spend three years there. It's one of his longest, if not the longest, stay in his, in his journeys. Um, that whole region of Asia is going to become one of the centers for, for Christian faith in, that, in, those, in those first decades. When John writes what we know of as the book of Revelation, he addresses it to the seven churches uh, in, in Asia. So, so really, like that place, thriving center of Christian faith. Uh, Bithynia. Though that 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 area we know had gospel communities really early on, because Peter in his letter addresses uh, Christians in that in that region, and then later on, a few centuries later, those cities, Nicaea and. Um, uh, Chalcedon and, and Byzantium, they become the site of some of the really, really important church councils in those early centuries that are trying to discern uh, the Trinity and the nature of Jesus, if he's, if he's God, if he's man, however that works, as well as some less important things like whether or not you're allowed to kneel on Sundays. Uh, you're not, actually, so, you know, stop kneeling. Um, but some really important decisions get made there in, in that area. So yeah, these, these places get the gospel. But, but God, in his sovereignty, had decided, no, that's not for Paul and Silas right now. I want them in Macedonia. I want them to, to bring the gospel to Europe, which is a highly significant as well, obviously, because Europe becomes this continent that embraces the gospel, uh, a place from which so much gospel proclamation goes out. And it it all starts here. It starts with this dream. But that begs the question, what about dreams? Are dreams still a valid and ongoing way that God speaks to people and reveals things to people? And I'll tell you, I absolutely believe that they are. We see it throughout the scriptures we see, we see the, the role that dreams play uh, in, in communicating God's revelation. We see it in, uh, in Jacob and in, in Joseph. Joseph, who both has dreams from God and also interprets dreams of others. We see it in, in a guy like well Solomon. We see it in Daniel, again, having dreams, interpreting dreams. We see it with, with uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, he has this dream, tells him to take the, uh, his, his wife and his infant son Jesus and, and flee to Egypt. I guess if, you're, if your name is Joseph, you got like a 50% chance, a greater chance of getting a, a dream from God, according to the scriptures. Um, but, anyways, and you, you get all these dreams, and then you get this here. It's not just Old Testament. It's, uh, it's New Testament, and it's, and it's even after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, Joel 3 and Acts 2 both say this is one of the signs of the Spirit's coming, of the, of the kind of the age of the Spirit uh, in, the, in the New Covenant, is that there will be dreams, there will be visions, that kind of thing. So, so absolutely, I believe it's, it's an ongoing reality. I've shared with you a dream that I, I would say there's I, one or two dreams, one especially that I would say, oh, clearly I know that was from God. Early on in my time here at the bridge, I was wrestling with this question of God, why, why am I not seeing more fruit in, uh, in my ministry? And so I asked him this in prayer for a few nights in a row. And I would leave space, I wasn't hearing anything. And then on the third night, I had this dream. And uh, at the, I, I woke up after hearing again and again and again in this dream Psalm 63, Psalm 63, Psalm 63, Psalm 63. And uh, surprisingly, I haven't memorized the whole Bible. And so I didn't know exactly what that was. So I I woke up instantly, uh, looked up Psalm 63, and it starts by saying, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. And it just felt like such a clear word into the situation. Craig, stop. Worrying about the fruit and the results, just desire me, seek me, thirst for me. I was, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was out for coffee with, uh, and I, you know, I hear this, I hear stories like this from so many people here at the bridge. It feels like dreams are a way that God. Speaks to a number of you. I was out for coffee with, uh, with one of you a couple weeks ago, and this, this friend of mine was telling me how he had, he had had this dream, and it was so vivid. Like, he could tell me all the details, all, like, what he saw, the colors, the smells, everything. It was so vivid. And in this dream, he, uh, he saw Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus. And, and he just knew it was Jesus right away. So he was filled with awe, filled with a love for him. But at the same time, he could only see like part of the face of Jesus. You could only see a glimpse, because he knew he wouldn't be able to handle more than that. And so he approaches Jesus and, and Jesus says one phrase to him, short phrase, but totally addressed this thing that this this friend of mine was was kinda had been wrestling with for, for quite for quite some time. And and as he told me this dream, you could just see the emotional impact it had had on him. And he told me that while he had believed in Jesus for a a while now, for a period of time, he now knew Jesus in a way he hadn't before. You know, he had believed in Jesus cognitively, but now he knew Jesus. Now he knew without a shadow of doubt that, that Jesus was real. He had met him, he had encountered him. His relationship with Jesus had been transformed through this. You know, but I guess, again, it raises the question, how do you know a dream is from God? Because, actually, I think it's pretty rare. You know, not every dream is. Sometimes you just had some bad pizza before going to bed, right? If you have a dream that, like, the city of North Vancouver is folding in on itself, you probably just watched Inception. It's not because, it's, it's not like a prophetic dream, right? Like, it's just like you watched a movie or something. So how do you know? If it's, if it's from God. I go back to like what I said before. The key to knowing if it's God's voice in your life is to, to know him. To be growing deeper in relationship with him. The number one thing is, is that uh, any kind of dream that is from God is not going to contradict what he has spoken clearly in his word. Again, he's, he's not going to tell you to do something that in his word he's clearly said you shouldn't, you shouldn't do. Uh, I, I think also... Dreams from God will tend to be very vivid, very memorable, kind of especially so. And oftentimes, there will be some kind of supernatural element to it. Maybe like I, I, the examples I shared, giving, um, giving an answer to something that you're wrestling with, you know, speaking something that you wouldn't otherwise know, that kind of thing. Um, but, but anyways, I think, I think it's rare, but I think we need to be open. I think we need to be open to that. We need to be sensitive to the, to the fact that God may speak through, through a dream. He, he has all the way through history. Um, so, so that's what Paul, Paul experiences. And he knows, he knows that this is from the Lord. He knows that, that this, this is a message saying that they need to go to Macedonia. So here's what we read in verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. By the way, this is where Luke kind of enters the story for the first time, very subtly through a first person plural. But Luke seems to have joined them in Troas and and comes with them on some of the journeys. Um, Verse 11, from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi. Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So, so, this is really what kind of sets the scene for the rest of the Book of Acts. Uh, the verse that we had on that sermon on that uh, series theme video is from Acts chapter one, where uh, Jesus tells the disciples, I, "I'm gonna, you, you wait in Jerusalem. You're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria." and to the ends of the earth. And this is where we see God starting to bring that word to fulfillment. That the word is pushing out further and further. The boundaries are getting stretched. The gospel is going out. Again, I don't think it was in Paul and Silas's mind to go to Europe. I don't even know if that was in the realm of, of consideration And so God is taking them to places they didn't expect, taking them to places they didn't imagine closing every door so that basically they would would need to go to the place where God really wanted them to go, but that wasn't what what they had kind of had in mind. And I I think that's what we see in Acts 16. This this is what God often does. He he closes doors that make sense to us, and then then he opens a door that, that really doesn't, make sense to us. And and we can resist that. We can fight against that. We can say, no, no, no. I'm going to do my plan because I worked it out. I drew it out. You know, I had a five-year, ten-year plan. I'm just going to follow that. It's going to work out great. We could do that. Or we can surrender to his leading. We can let him call the shots and trust that even if he brings us places we we, we were kind of nervous about and weren't expecting, it's actually gonna work out better. It's what I've experienced in my life. I wanna share with you a bit of an extended story from my life. Um, what, about a decade ago, I was, uh, I was in my last year at uh, Regent College doing my master's degree in, in Van, uh, Regent College in Vancouver. And, um, and I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I'm a ministry free agent at this point, right? Like I, I've got, I'm gonna have a new degree under my belt, Every church in the world is going to want to hire me because I'm like this 20, 28-year-old who, who thinks he knows everything. So who wouldn't want to hire me, right? This is going to be great. Uh, it turns out uh, there were a lot of closed doors. I'll tell you about a few of them. Early on in that year, uh, that last year at Regent, I had this idea that I would like to become a church planter. I want, to, I want to start something new. That would be great. I want to start a new church. And I actually started talking to the, the church that I had served at previously in Richmond, about about planting a church out of that congregation, and at first they were pretty open to that, and we're starting to dream about it. I'm reading books about church planting, getting really excited about this. I even have this whole idea in my mind about what it's going to look like. We're going to do an evening service, and we're going to do it around uh, around tables. We're going to we're going to have a meal as part of it. So it won't be in like an auditorium like this. We'll be seeing each other. We'll be in like a fellowship hall or a gym or something like that. And uh, during you know it'll be interactive. So I'll preach a little bit, and then I'll throw question out to the tables and they'll talk about this. It's going to be so awesome. I even had a name. I had a name for the church. It was going to be called Bread of Life Church because of the whole connection with food. And then I thought I had an even better idea. I'd shorten it. I'd just call it Bread Life Church. And Carolyn told me that was the dumbest name she had ever heard for a church. Bread Life Church. Which yesterday, I was like, I wonder how dumb it was. And I googled it and it turns out there's not a church in the world with that name. So she was... So she was probably right. <laughs> I don't think it was because of the name, but, but the leadership of that church came back and said, you know what, actually, we're not, we're not quite in the place as a church to, to do that kind of thing. We don't think that's actually what God is calling us to. So that door got closed. I was discouraged because I was so sure, that was, I was so excited, so sure that's what God was, was bringing about. A little while after that, uh, I get invited to preach at a church in Surrey by one of my classmates who was a leader at this church. And I go there, and it's, um, it's a great space, really young, like lots of youth and young adults, uh, really contemporary. And uh, I thought the sermon went pretty well, was warmly received, really, really loved the church. And then I find out that they're, they're looking for a new lead pastor I think, oh, man, this is it. This is amazing. I can't, this, this is great. We can move to Surrey, our dream come true, uh, you know? And <laughs> So bad, eh? So bad. That's, like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say things like that. Um, but, <laughs> like, this is going to be, and, and the church had a really cool name, like, way cooler than Bread Life, right? Like, I was like, oh. This, this is it. This is the place for us. And, uh, and, and you know, so I applied, and then it turned out that this church was kind of an offshoot of a, of a big Korean church. And uh, the senior leadership felt like they really needed to have a Korean person as the pastor of the church. And so, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm not Korean. So that was, I was out on that one. So now I'm feeling, I'm feeling even more discouraged. Not now, uh, you know, it's, it's shortly before graduation. And then, I thought for sure, this is divine providence, because I'm eating lunch and I look up at the job board at Regent, and there's a church in London, England. And, and in, in London, there's this church, it's an Anabaptist, charismatic, uh, evangelical church. If you don't know what those, any of those titles mean, that's okay. It's just, that's where I was at. That summarized me at that point. And, uh, and I'm like, man, London, England, this, this church, they were looking for, so it was like a, a campus satellite kind of church, and they were looking for like kind of an associate pastor who had pastored this campus, and, and then with the idea of being mentored into like the, the lead pastor kind of role. I was blown away. This is perfect. This is exactly, I'm so glad those other doors closed, because this is clearly it, and um, and I, re- I remember just like, like trying to convince Carolyn. Carolyn was like, ah, maybe like one year. I'm not going to go there for longer than that. Um, I guess, you know, if you're going to leave Vancouver, why would you go to a place that's rainier and gloomier than this, right? So, but anyways, oh, I love the adventure of it. I love the idea of it. I apply. That's a no as well. Now now I'm graduating with a master's degree, and poured all kinds of money into this. You know, got a wife, an infant daughter, I have no idea what's gonna happen next. And I see this posting for, for a Trinity Baptist Church in Vancouver, and they're looking for a half-time youth pastor, temporary, just for one year. You know, we're, we're not Baptists, and pretty sure I need a full-time job. Again, young, young family, and youth ministry was something I'd done and loved and felt called to for a period of time, but I thought that was, that was done. And, and so I'm really struggling with this idea. And I remember going to, um, sitting in a park early on in that process and just struggling with this and being led to Philippians 2, which talks about how Jesus left the glories of heaven and uh, took, took the form of a servant and went to the lowest place, went even to the cross. And remember just feeling so deeply convicted because I was kind of thinking, this is, this is beneath me now. With my qualifications now, this is far beneath me. I just feeling really convicted. Like, if, if, if Jesus, considering who he is, did that for me, then for me to think that anything is below me is, I mean, that's, that's just the height of arrogance and pride. So I applied for the job. I was hired on. Um, to make a long story short, pretty quickly on, I've shared this before, they made it a kind of a full-time, uh, kind of an associate pastoral, involved youth ministry, but also had me preaching every week in the, in the smaller contemporary uh, kind of service, sometimes in the bilingual Mandarin service. So I'd be up there with a translator, and I'd say, I'd say something for five seconds, and then she'd talk for like 20 seconds. I'm like, what did you just say? I have no idea. <laughs> it was a great experience. So I got to be an associate pastor without all the responsibility and stress of being a lead pastor, which newsflash, there's a bunch of that. Um but I got to be an associate pastor, got to hone my uh, kind of preaching in, in that kind of role. We got to raise our, our babies, uh, you know, right across the street from Carolyn's parents. We lived right across from them for, for a few years there because the street was, the, the church was, you know, just five, ten minutes away. Um, God introduced to the whole world of Baptist churches, which came in handy a few years later when uh, I experienced God calling me and, and preparing me for, for a church in North Vancouver called the Bridge Church. You see, you don't, you don't know how God is going to lead, how he's gonna speak, where he's gonna take you. We've got all our ideas, all our plans, all our visions of how we want life to go. Um, but your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life isn't actually about you. It's not about your glory. It's not about your dreams or visions right? Like Paul says to the Corinthians, your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. He says to the Colossians that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. He's your life. Your life is hidden with him. Your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. It's for him. And so I just want to encourage you, be Be yielded to him. Let your heart be soft towards him. Going back to what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. You know, that that stony hardened heart insists on our way. Let go of that. That new heart of flesh says, God, whatever you want, wherever you want to take me, whatever you want to do through me, you have the right. You can call the shots. This is about you. This is for you. So grow in your relationship with him. Grow deeper in your knowledge of him so that you'll recognize his voice. And then when he does speak, be responsive. Yield to that. Surrender to him in that. Because from my experience, even if he shuts every door and leads you to an apparent, seemingly dead end like Troas, he's he's, he's got something way better for you. If you would just surrender to him, and let him call the shots. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you so much for this passage. Oh, just feels, oh Lord, sometimes when we read your word and, and uh, it's holy and it's transcendent and, and we, we feel like, you know, our, our lives are so, so small and, and um, we, just, we just feel, Lord, like sometimes maybe we, we can't relate, but, but then when we actually get into your word, we see, Lord, that it, it speaks right into our lives, right into the struggles and the questions that we deal with. And I thank you so much for that. I thank you that your word is a living word. And I believe, Lord, that your, your word has been a living word this morning, that there are people here, and maybe, maybe they are um, the wrestling, Lord, because you have called them to something, and they're not a fan. They're, it's uncomfortable, and they're, they're resisting it. And I pray today, Lord, that as you have spoken through your word, that you would set them free. That they would be able to let go of the fight. <laughs> and be able to to follow you where you are leading them, where you're calling them. There are others here, Lord, who perhaps haven't heard your voice, even though you're speaking to them because their hearts have grown hardened. They become deaf to your voice. I pray today, Lord, that you would show them what goodness awaits us when we devote our lives to you, when we thirst for you, when we long for you, when we seek to know you, and I pray, Lord, that they would, they would receive that new heart that you want to give them. Lord, there are others who are open to your voice. They want to hear you. They want to receive your leading. And their hearts are soft, but they haven't, they haven't heard. They're still waiting in Troas. I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. I thank you that you are always working. You're working in Troas. You're working in the apparent dead end. Not just in not just in the places where you're gonna send us, but in the places where we're waiting as well. So I pray that you would shape them and form them and encourage them, Lord, to persevere, to endure even in that waiting. And there are others, Lord, maybe I haven't named their situation, but I thank you, Lord, that you speak to them. I thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose for us. You've given us gifts. You have given us characters. You've given us, you have given us a history, Lord. You want to use that. You want to use that to make yourself known through us. I thank you, Lord, that every single person here, everyone joining us online, everyone who will listen to this later, every single one of them has been given a calling, has a purpose in you. I thank you for that, Lord. Not one of these is without a purpose, without gifts, without, without a calling to serve you. So I thank you for that, Lord. Raise us up. Raise us up, Lord. May we not live for our own purposes and our own glory, but may we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us at the Bridge Church in this way. If God has spoken to you through his word, or if you're simply just wanting to reach out to pray, or just wanting to know a little bit more about our church, you can do that through accessing our website. There you can connect with us and also have access to different types of content. We are a church that lives to know Jesus Christ personally and to make him known. We believe that he is the hope of this world and wants to give you your hope as well. We believe that the best news ever has come in and through him. May you know him more and make him known today. We'd love to hear from you.